through the book of Leviticus means you've got to work your way through lots of laws and rules and regulations. And it reminds me, I think, of the truth that many believers, many Christians, don't know what to do with law. They don't know what to do with rules. And that is not just a debate that goes on sort of in academia and between scholars and authors, uh, but you see the divide in different church cultures. So some of you maybe were raised in a church where it was very legalistic. Everything was about rules, and it was, very, it was made very clear how you're supposed to live and act, uh, what you're supposed to watch, what you're supposed to wear, how you're supposed to wear it, and if you didn't conform to the church's rules, you were on the out. Maybe some of you have come from churches that used to be like that, and then have swung the pendulum to the other end where they shout grace and freedom, and there's, um, there, it's not about rules, it's about relationship, and so it's loose, and um, many churches have taken that to the extreme where we don't want to talk about doctrine, and we don't want to talk about truth, it's just kind of, you do you, come one, come all, we just want to be one big happy family, and there really is no in and out at all. I think both of those extremes are uh, very unfortunate. I don't think they do justice to what the Bible talks about. Jesus didn't save us so we can disregard rules. Okay? If you were brought up in a church that told you it's not about rules, it's about relationships, you were brought up in a church that doesn't understand relationships because relationships are always based on rules. You cannot simply just do whatever you want and maintain a friendship. That's not a friendship, that's a bully relationship, right? And so God invites us into relationship with him, not so that we can disregard rules. He invites us into relationship with him so that now we can live according to those rules that we could not honor before we were in the relationship. That has always been the pattern. God rescues first, rules second. And so as we move into, as we continue moving through Leviticus, don't want you to hear, guys, follow a bunch of rules, and then God will love you. That is not the message. But I also don't want you to hear, these rules are really old, don't worry about it. God just loves you, whatever you do, because that's not the message. The message is, guys, God has saved you, even though you could never keep his rules, but he saved you unto something. He saved you unto his relationship with you, which has rules. And so uh, we have to do some work to figure out these Leviticus laws, which ones still apply exactly the same, and which ones do we have to do some work. Um, but kind of a little bit past the halfway point, I think we're starting to see the rhythm uh, and the texts that we have in Leviticus are very applicable to today. So if you need a Bible, just slip your hand up, we'll bring one to you. Uh, but if you already have one, we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. God has rescued Israel from Egypt, and as he's taking them to the land that he's promised them, he's preparing them for living in a land surrounded by nations that 
don't follow rules. And his message essentially is, you're going to be in relationship with me, you are in relationship with me, and you're going to be surrounded by people that are not in relationship with me, and the difference looks like something. It looks like you follow rules, and they don't. They follow their own rules, you follow the rules that are in keeping with following me. So you see right there at the top of chapter 19, we see another little heading, another little break where the text tells us the Lord spoke to Moses uh, saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And so right there off, right at the top, we see that God's command for them to be holy is based on something, it's based on his identity. So again, you're in relationship with me and the rules are based on that idea. You're in relationship with me. I'm a certain way. So if you're in relationship with me, you're going to live the way I am. Your life is going to reflect what I'm like. And you remember that's what creation was about. Created, he, God created man uh, in his image. We are supposed to image him, reflect him. So we're not created to just do what we want. We're created to be mirrors that reflect the glory and honor and goodness of God himself. And so he is holy, he's set apart, he's different. So if we're in relationship with him, we're supposed to be holy and set apart and different. And this is emphasized all throughout this entire chapter. The entire chapter is bracketed with him stating, I am the Lord. You get that in verse 1, verse 4. And then at the end of verse 37, if you look at the very last verse of this chapter, uh, he, he states it again. I, I am the Lord. This is why you're supposed to do these things. And then all throughout, it's 16 times throughout this entire chapter. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. He doesn't want you to lose sight of why you're supposed to live a certain way. It's because he is a certain way. So if we really love the Lord, if we're really in relationship with him, we'll want to reflect that. What is he like? Well, he reveals what he's like. And one of the ways he reveals what he's like is in his commandments. It's in the laws that he reveals. He echoes the Ten Commandments, at least a few of them, in these first few verses here, three through four. He says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Interesting that he worked kind of backwards from the law to revere your mother and father. Initially, it's father and mother. Here, he puts mother first. But it's this idea that God has delegated parents to be representatives of law-keeping in the home. And so he starts with that. Then he mentioned keeping Sabbaths, very different from the culture that they'll be surrounded by. And the reason why they do that, I am the Lord your God, end of verse 3. And do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. Why? Because I am the Lord your God, and you are not supposed to create me in your image. That's the reverse. I create you in my image. You live in, according to what I'm like. Don't worship little pieces of metal that are fashioned into what you want me to be like. See, and that's why it's so egregious. You're reversing the created order when you worship your idea of what God is like. And brothers and sisters, if you think it's only applied to when you actually put a piece of metal up on 
a stand and, and bow down to it, uh, we're missing the heart of it. It's any time we conform God's image to what we want, that idolatry happens. Because you're no longer worshiping the revealed God of Scripture. You're worshiping the God that you want to worship. So we come into church and we don't, we don't say, hey, let's, what should we make up about God today? We say, what does God say about himself? And let's conform our lives to it. That's what every church service is about. And so God calls them to holiness. The entire book of Leviticus is about calling people to holiness, to living differently than the surrounding culture because they belong to him and they reflect him. Then interestingly, verse 5 through 8, he talks again about the peace offerings, which we talked about, I think, in the first or second, uh, the second sermon in the series. It says, when you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. Don't do it any old way you want. Do it the way I want so that it's acceptable. Verse 6, it shall be in the same day you offer it or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord and that person shall be cut off from his people. So the peace offering was one way that Israel was allowed to express their thanks to God. Right? Thank you for rescuing us from Egypt. Thank you for um, coming through on this prayer request that I had. Thank you for what you did uh, for my family this year. And so you can come and present peace offerings, and at the heart of that peace offering was gratitude and thanks to God. Now, here's where it gets interesting and why we have the rest of the chapter. It starts off with these verses that talk about how to love me, God, right? How to love God, honor God, uh, be an image bearer of God, and then the bulk of the rest of the chapter is how you love other people, how you treat other people. And it's God's way of saying, you can't claim to worship me if you treat people like dirt. In fact, the proof of your claim that you love me is in your loving other people. If you don't love other people, then your claim to love me is a lie. And that, we don't have to wait to get to the New Testament to learn that truth because it's right here. Now, right off the heels of the peace offering. When somebody comes and says, God, I'm so grateful to you. I, I've, I'm, so much, I'm so filled with gratitude for all that you've done. Here's my peace offering. Right on the heels of him clarifying, you have to do that rightly. He talks about harvest in verse 9 and leaving enough for poor people to come behind and get some crops as well. Look at verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, the alien in the land. I am the Lord your God. In other words, when you gather your crops and you take some of those crops to offer a peace offering to God to be, to, as an expression of gratitude, but you didn't leave anything behind for anybody else, uh, this is a farce. So your gratitude to the Lord is proven in your generosity toward other people. I think that's why these laws are back-to-back. -back. Peace offering, and then how you harvest the land that got you that peace offering. What you do with the things that God has blessed you with, 
When you come and claim that you're grateful to the Lord, your gratitude is either proven or disproven in how you treat those who don't have. I think the universal principle there is if you claim to be grateful to the Lord, then you will also be generous to others. And that's why these texts are there. And so then you see this is kind of a hinge in the chapter where he now starts talking about the rules that regulate how you relate to other people because you cannot worship God and then disregard how you treat others. And so he's got different kinds of situations, different rules that he applies in this chapter. But the point is the law of love. And so he talks about leaving, uh, don't pick every single grape off the, off the ground. You know, the ones that are on the ground, leave those, leave those. Just take your portion and uh, leave some behind for others. You know, verse 11 to 12, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hard worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You think about how God is thinking about those who can't defend themselves or help themselves. The hard worker that is doing work so that they get paid, and then the employer is like, eh, pay you next week. Like, I need to go shopping tonight. <laughs> I need to put food on my kid's table tonight. And he's saying, don't do that to your employee. Don't do that to the person that you hired. Uh, don't hire them if you can't pay them on time. So this is a little bit different than uh, the situation where you have a contract and you have a government you can go to to sue the employer if they're not paying you according to the contract. But, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. If you tell a 12-year-old, mow my lawn and I'll give you 20 bucks or whatever it is, uh, you don't say, okay, good job. I'll pay you next week. Like, that 20 bucks better be in your pocket. Pay the kid, right? And then on up from those situations to uh, greater situations. He looks at the deaf and the blind, and he's, he's saying, don't, don't, don't abuse them. Don't take advantage of them, because even though they can't hear and they can't see, I hear and I see. And so you will not take advantage of people that you see the opportunity to take advantage of. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You see this non-partiality? God is not saying, favor the poor. He's saying, don't favor the rich. Right? It's non-partiality. Be fair in your judgment. Someone is not guilty just because they're rich. Someone is not guilty just because they're wealthy. Someone's not guilty because they have privilege. Am I going too far? But he's saying, how do you treat people? You don't just lump them in with a bunch of other people. Treat them fairly, case by case. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. 
You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, if you just pluck that quote out and ask somebody, where is this in the Bible? They might guess, well, New Testament. (laughs) Didn't Jesus say that? Yeah, Jesus said it. He quoted it. But it's amazing as you go through Leviticus, the book, one of those books that we dodge because, you know, like quiet times in Leviticus, that sounds really lame. But you get to verses like this, you're like, whoa, maybe this is one of the reasons why Leviticus is so often quoted in the New Testament. Jesus wasn't radical because he gave some new teaching. You know what? The law, don't worry about the law. Instead, love people. No, he's saying it was always that. What was radical about Jesus' teaching was he was returning them to the heart of the law. I love how interior it gets. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance. And that's not enough. It's not enough for you to just say, well, I'm not taking vengeance. That's not enough. Because you can withhold vengeance in terms of action, but also hold a grudge that people can't really necessarily see. That's very interior. And he's getting right into the heart, even back then, right? How many of us are civilized enough to not take vengeance, but will hold a grudge for days, weeks, years? Because we're too afraid to confront, too afraid to talk to the offender. Maybe it feels good to hold a grudge because it's so hard to forgive. God doesn't say, hey, I get it. Take your time. You will not take vengeance and you will not bear a grudge. He doesn't say you could bear a grudge for a couple months, but then, hey, enough is enough. Don't bear a grudge. Don't do it. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there's his punctuation again. You love neighbor as yourself because God is who he, who he is. So his commandments flow from his character. So he wants fairness. He wants non-partiality. He wants no hate, no vengeance, no grudges. That's what the community looks like that is in relationship with the Lord. Then I want you to understand the importance of what follows Because it seems like he shifts gears and he just starts talking about not breeding cattle of different kinds. Don't wear clothes that are made of two different fabrics. Don't plant two different kinds of seeds in your garden. You're like, okay, how did we get from those very clear, like non-partiality, don't judge, or, or, you know, no, no grudges. And then suddenly you can't wear a shirt that has two different cloths mixed in it. Like what? That seems like it should be another chapter, you know? Here's the importance of those next few verses, okay? And this is replete throughout Scripture and in the New Testament. God calls you to love others, but he calls you to love others without conforming to others. We've lost this in our day, where to preach a gospel of love is to thereby preach a gospel with no rules, The most loving thing we can do for people is to tell them they're okay and to not tell them they're sinners and to reinterpret sin according to cultural mores and new ethical standards. Lower the bar on holiness and righteousness because that's the loving thing to do. It's so unloving to be judgy, to tell people they're wrong. That's unloving. But that's not the scriptural standard. 
You love others, but in loving them, do not conform to them. That's why this is here. It says, verse 19, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. So as we move through the book of Leviticus, we see certain things that are... uh, that, that don't apply exactly in the same way. And you've got to do some work here to figure those kinds of things out. Some of you might be wearing a shirt that is made not of 100% cotton or 100% polyester. It's some mixture, 80% this, 10% that, 10% that. Wrong? You know, when you, when you sow your seeds, you know, do you mix them sometimes? Do you ever crossbreed? Your pets? Do you own a mutt? <laughs> is that wrong? No, I don't think so. I think what God is communicating is, I want you to live by certain rules, and some of these rules are going to be symbolic, not universal morals, but symbolic truths of something that is universal. And what is universal is, you are not to conform to others who are not in relationship with me. So one way that he would remind them of that daily is when they sow seeds or when they sow garments. He would remind them of that when they would breed their cattle. And like has to go with like. You don't mix spheres. All throughout Scripture you see this reminder, don't mix, don't syncretize your religion with other religions, don't start marrying them. And then he's got rules that echo the same idea as we move forward in verse 20 he protects slave girls you can't just do whatever you want with slave girls just like the other nations if you're a slave you're a worthless piece of junk and it doesn't matter what you do with a slave person and so he puts a rule to protect slave girls you're not going to treat slaves like other cultures treat slaves verse 23 you when you plant your trees in uh in the land that i'm bringing you to You're not going to eat from it for three years, and then the fourth year, you're going to give all of it to me, and then in the fifth year, you can eat of its increase. There's stuff to unpack there, but he's giving them rules about um, how they're going to eat from fruit trees when they get in there. Again, he's teaching them uh, what belongs to him comes first, and then they get after God gets. Verse 26, eating flesh with blood in it. We covered that. Omens and fortune-telling, verse Uh, at the end of verse 26. Now here's interesting. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. Oh boy, did I do that this morning? And then the next verse gets picked on. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. So again, you have the churches that say, no tattoos, you shouldn't have any tattoos. Uh, But they're they're cutting their beards. (laughs) They're wearing mixed shirts. So, so what's the deal there? I think here's the deal, okay? Why are you getting a tattoo? If you're getting a tattoo to be like the world, you shouldn't do it. Now, don't too quickly convince yourself, that's not the reason I'm doing it. It's a verse. I put Hebrew. It's in Hebrew. Okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying, why are you doing that? Because the universal principle that lies behind these rules is to protect you from conformity. 
And I think the, the new tattoo rules is churches that um, when you see how churches create their services, they're just trying to be a concert, right? They're trying to be something that is appealing to people who don't go to church so that we can get them in church, but then they don't, the, the bait and switch doesn't really ever happen. Church has just become a concert, and the bar of Scripture is lowered. So it's conformity, and that's what these verses are about. Verse 29 talks about prostitution. Why would anyone ever make their daughters a prostitute? Well, there's the temple prostitution that seems pretty foreign to us in the cultures that surround them uh, that, that are in Canaan uh, isn't foreign to them. And they're going to like it and be tempted to do these kinds of things. He said, don't do those things. I'm holy. I'm the Lord. So as he talks about these different rules, we see his, his desire to get them to break out of the mentality that I have to sort of get absorbed into the culture. Uh, we have to contextualize ourselves. We have to be relevant to the world around us. And so let's kind of morph and be much more palatable to the people around us. Uh, he's saying, no, don't, don't do that. Love them, but don't be like them in every way. Verse 31, or verse, thir- uh, verse 30, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Don't forget, you're, you're not modeling worship after how they treat temples. You're modeling worship how I treat my presence in the sanctuary. Verse 31, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Uh, Don't ask dead spirits to give you a heads up on which job to take. Cut it out. Don't do that stuff. Don't seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord, your God. So these rules show the difference, and then he goes back to loving neighbor. So it's almost like a brief timeout. Love people. That's the main idea. And then he wants you to remember, don't become like them, though. Be separate. And we go, oh, be separate? And now we start getting judgy, like yeah, tattoos, beard shaving, different mixed clothes people. Hate them. No, no, no. And then he brings them back, but love them, though. <laughs> because we're creatures that love the pendulum. Right? Love people, love people, love people. Yeah, that's the agenda. And then you start becoming like them. And he's like, no, 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 no. You can't become like them. Oh, yeah. And then we start becoming judgy, hateful people. And he goes, no, 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 but love them. See, so that's the rhythm of the chapter. Look at verses 32 and following. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. And you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You know that Christian school I used to go to as a little kid, any time an adult walked into the class, you stood up. That's long gone. Now it's, bang, get out of my way. I can't believe they still have a license. That's where we're at now. But see, he's returning us back to the theme that he took a break from before. Don't take advantage of the deaf. Don't take advantage of the blind. And it's not just don't take advantage of seniors, but honor them. That's you one day, fool. So you honor them, and that's an expression of your love. Verse 33, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. 
shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You don't play the you don't belong here card, get out of here. And, and this doesn't, you know, we, we apply, you know, this gets often applied to how America should deal with immigrants. But let's just allow this to hit a little closer to home. This is how you address uh, people that enter your circles that aren't part of your circle. When someone new comes to church, how long does it take that someone new to break into your little circle of friends? How long until they can go out to lunch with you? You see? So this, before we start arguing immigration, let's think about how we treat strangers in our own lives. And to push it a little further, we're the strangers now. We're, we're, we are the sojourners. We are the, the exiled people of God living in a strange land. But we're supposed to demonstrate hospitality. We're supposed to love people and not ask them to conform to us first, but we love them regardless of where they're from. Verse 35, you shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity, you shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. And so he ends with, the chapter ends with, uh, again, that a non-partiality, uh, that idea of not cheating people, not changing the measurements uh, to, to try to, uh, scam people or get more out of them than you should, uh, but to treat people fairly and to look out for them and treat them as you would treat yourself, to love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And as we think about that repeated verse 34, you shall love him as yourself. And then he connects it to their history. Why should you love someone as you love yourself? Now think about that. Who is yourself? Yourself is someone who was stuck in Egypt and got rescued. That's who you are. Okay. And of course, especially when we were moving through Exodus, we talked about how that's analogous to our lives in Christ. We've been rescued out of darkness, brought through the waters of baptism, and we're heading toward the promised land. Okay. I'm not going to revisit all those scripture passages, but that's the analogy. And the gospel is, you're to love neighbor as yourself and you need to understand yourself. Yourself is someone who was rescued not because you were so great. Yourself is somebody who was rescued out of darkness not because you weren't that dark yourself. You were guilty and you were far from God and God rescued you anyway. So how can you ever withhold grace and love towards somebody else? You can't. It's not consistent. You were rescued so think about other people in need. You were in need, and the only reason why you have is because God has been gracious. So don't hold things over other people or cheat them or abuse them like they're less than you because they're not less than you. They are in need. You were in need. You've been rescued. They need rescue. So it's a level playing field. The gospel levels everything. I think when we have difficulty loving others, the difficulty often lies in our forgetfulness, we forget we've been rescued. And so we are a little bit above certain people in our hearts. So God reminds them of Egypt twice. He reminds them of Egypt in verse 34. 
And then he finishes off with the reminder at the end of verse 36. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So how do you get to the place where you love others as yourself? That's a high bar. But you have to think, about it, think of it in terms of the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did God demonstrate his love to you? He demonstrated his love to you by sending Jesus to die for your sin. While you were still an undeserving sinner, Christ died for you. He demonstrated his love in that way. When we forget that, we'll have a really hard time honoring people, loving people, not taking advantage of people, dealing with people in honor and in, in honesty and not dealing with them falsely. We'll have a really hard time being impartial to those who are richer than us or to those who are poorer than us. We'll have a really hard time being impartial to those who aren't from the same place that we are, don't have the same backgrounds that we do. But if we are reminded of what God has done for us, we are humbled by it. And in that humility, we love. But we love without conformity. Because God didn't rescue us to go do whatever we want. He rescued us to become like Him. And our greatest desire for others in our lives is for them to become like Him. And so, do we still tell someone when they're wrong? Yeah, we do still tell people when they're wrong. But we do it in a gospel way. And the gospel way is to say, look, uh, I'm an undeserving sinner. Here's the work that God has done in my life. I want that to be your experience. That's very different than the judgy Christian or the free licensed Christian. So I don't know where you are today. I know especially in today's environment, there are so many camps and factions to belong to. And uh, even in the recent election, presidential election, I don't know about you, but I even felt tension in our own congregation. Who you vote for, not having a really time, hard time understanding how someone else could possibly vote for the other person. Tough times. But we need to demonstrate love toward each other. When we have these conversations that are difficult, we need to have these conversations understanding that the gospel is the foundation of what we do and how we act. We live a certain way because God is a certain way, and then we invite others into that way of living. Let's pray.